right, and we are live. I'm your host, Eric, and joining me this evening, the great and wonderful Star O'Hara. How's it going? Great and wonderful. Great and wonderful, both? Yeah. Okay, good. <laughs> Star here has, is an author. She just uh, wrote a book, uh, science fiction-y, I guess, no. with the... No. no? This one is nonfiction. Nonfiction, okay. Yep. I have, it is, I have it right here. It's called How to... Survive dystopia with your humanity intact. Ah, nice. I do write science fiction also, but this book is nonfiction. <laughs> it's nonfiction. Okay, that was my mistake, so bad host. I need to uh I need to do more than just a uh, cursory glance at things, I guess. But uh, so on on this book, are we uh, are we talking about our current dystopia that we uh, find ourselves in, or are we just talking about some kind of nebulous future one? Yeah, the what I refer to as our present dystopia throughout the book, um, which I feel like, you know, a lot of people have a, a people have different people have the sense that something dystopian is going on, but a lot of different factions have different opinions about what that is, and so you know you have the faction that's like, oh my gosh, it's going to be The Handmaid's Tale, or you, have, <laughs> or you know. Um, just different factions have different beliefs about it. And I think that a lot of people are anticipating the wrong dystopia. So I definitely make clear that the dystopia I'm talking about is the technocratic mm. global control dystopia. Yeah. Out of all of the dystopias that we could have had, we get this lame being ruled over by nerds who can't get dates and it sucks. Well, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's very sad for them. But I mean, you have to do something. If you can't get a date, you have to build a bot for it. Of course. Of course. Or you just be like Bill Gates and then you have to like try to tell people that, you know, world depopulation is a good thing. Mm -hmm. Gotta love that. I'm trying to figure out which way the camera works here. Like which way to slide my Okay. There. I think I got it. Okay. It's like yeah, the there's a lot of this. Am I yeah. moving to the left? Am I moving to the right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I'm good now. <laughs> good nice and centered and framed just the way we just the way we like it <laughs> although it could be worse i mean at least your camera is working so there's yes. that <laughs> yeah i've had guests on before it's like uh camera we're doing this on camera and i'm like yeah sure it was like okay let me go find one in the drawer i was like okay great mm. i'll wait here <laughs> But yeah, uh, technocratic uh, stuff. It's all the things that us 90s guys have been uh, warning about since like 1995 mm -hmm. going forward. We're all like, hey, these guys are uh, basically going to try and set up their own little world. And uh, apparently we're just all players and pawns in it. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's it's very it's it flows out of the whole New World Order thing that um, we were all very aware of in the 90s and early 2000s but it's like been rebranded. And I find it very interesting that they never, it, although the, the agenda itself is obviously technocratic and technoc technocracy is a term that's existed since like the 1920s. So this is yeah, not, it goes way new, back. it's not a new thing and not a new idea, but it's never actually been, you know, seriously tried. And, um, you know, even back when it was popular in the twenties and thirties, people dismissed it for the, obvious ludicrous bullshit that it was and so it never really gained traction so now they're bringing it back 
and in a way they're rebranding the new world order thing as like the great reset or whatever but what i find really interesting is that they never ever use the word technocracy to describe what they're <laughs> pushing for right and I yeah think the that, uh the term okay. kind of fell out of favor there in the 1960s and 70s if uh, if memory serves Right. And then even like most people in the millennial generation or, you know, younger people today who have never either never heard the term or just aren't familiar with what it means. I think that as soon as as soon as the people, you know, the Justin Trudeau's of the world or whatever, were like, yeah, we're going to go technocratic, everybody, you know, and then everybody would Google it and they'd be like, this shit doesn't sound cool. Let's not. So instead, they're like cloaking it in a disguise of, you know, benevolent, global, I don't yeah. know. Of course, in the last few years, we've heard the term uh, stakeholder capitalism is kind of what their new phrase is. Right. Yeah, in it's other all words, the same In other words, not capitalism. In other words, fascism. Right. right? So... <laughs> Yeah, I was like sitting there uh, watching some of the speeches from the World Economic Forum, and it was like, oh, and we're going to have these pills, and they're going to let us know when you're taking it and when you're not taking it so, for enforcement. And we're like, okay, okay, so we're literally swallowing GPS tracking chips? I saw that. I saw that speech. That doctor was so creepy, or researcher, or whatever he was. He was so creepy. Yeah. But yeah, this is the type of thing they wanted. You know, they want your – whether you swallow your psychiatric pills – is to be attached to your credit score and, and yeah. whether you can leave the neighborhood this month, you know? So <laughs> that's sounds, I mean, if that's what you're into, go do it. Leave me out of it. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's the problem though. It's like the people that would do that, they're not ever going to leave you alone. And we call those Yankees. We just, yeah. it's, it's I, I, I have to shake my head at these, at these people. It's like, uh, it's like, okay, we left the Puritans back in the 1600s. We don't need them today. You know, somewhere somebody's having a good time and that's just not allowed type yeah. of people. There's always there's always that um, that influence in society, I guess. And then in response, you get the reactionaries who are like, you know, uh, I don't know. They're, they're, they're like the Puritans that come in and with their moralizing and they're like, you have to do everything this way. Oh, we're going to have a witch hunt, you know? And then the other, and then other people are like, wait a minute, you guys are full of shit. We don't like you. You shouldn't be in charge. All right. Now we're going to have, you know, some guy that wants to like, I don't know, scout people. And I, it's, <laughs> they, they <laughs> the just pendulum turn. swing. Yeah. yeah. I talk a lot about the pendulum swing in the book too. Um, a little bit. Of yeah, that. it gets it gets pretty dicey when I talk to my lefty progressive friends who think that they're just going to be able to do all this. And I was like, you you guys have no idea when it swings back the other direction. You're going to get a guy that you think uh, was everything that you wanted Trump to be, like this, you know, uber ubermensch right wing uh, fascist dictator who's actually going to literally go to homosexual people's houses and take them out of their sleeping beds at night. It's like, no, that Trump was like, you know, the goofball uh, cartoon version of that. It's like, you're going to get that real guy. Don't you don't you worry about it. Yeah, I like how you said that everything you wanted Trump to be, because right. it's they would express it as 
what Trump was, but we wouldn't let him get away with it. And then other people might might see that and describe it as, oh, this is what they feared Trump to be, but they were obviously delusional. But you're yeah. right that in in that delusional fear, in in the dramatization of it and the like <laughs> the dramatization the is a good word. Passion, the passion that went behind <laughs> yeah. that was a desire. They desired an enemy. You know, yeah. they desired an enemy to do these particular things, somebody that they could let. I mean, and obviously Trump is perfectly good fodder for lashing out at. But, yeah. you know, uh, ultimately there was that, like, this desire for there to be a Hitler, a Hitler of our times so that we can oh, be yeah. in resistance, you know? Yeah, everyone is Hitler. Everybody. This is going all the way back to Hitler. And it's like even Hitler wasn't as Hitlery as as he could be, I guess. It's... It gets really insane when you try to like, oh, this guy's Hitler. This guy's Hitler, too. It was like, they're all Hitler. I was like, well, at some point, nobody's going to be Hitler, right? Right. <laughs> you have basically nullified Hitler. by Right. <laughs> how, how do you even? Yeah, I get it. Yeah, it, it's been pretty nuts, especially when you have to deal with, like, uh, the lefties that, you know, deal in the woke uh, the social justice warriors and everything, because everything is racist. I was like, okay, well, then nothing is, if, if everything is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, you can... I, I like, to, I, I like to, to say it this way, okay? I think it has a lot to do with the, the public school system, but... Oh, it always um, does come back to that, huh? Government indoctrination. Gen- yeah, several generations of children have been taught or indoctrinated that racism is is like the soul of evil it's the core tenet of evil and evil it's it's like the only way that evil expresses itself on a societal scale is racism any other kind of evil is just like individual uh, you know like oh somebody shot somebody that's just a little but we could probably tie racism into that too you know but in fact what they miss and what, what they're indoctrinated out of noticing is that racism is just an accessory that evil can wear sometimes. You know, it could put on this racism scarf today and tie it in a jaunty little bow, you know, and then next week it could take the racism scarf off and put on a, you know, technocracy scarf or a theocracy scarf or whatever, whatever. There's There's so many different accessories but it's always the same when you're talking about social societal level evil, it's always the same evil underneath, which is it wants to force everybody else to go along with its silly little plan, you know? And the technocrats like to come in there. I was like, Oh, well we've got computer algorithms for that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's terrible. So, I mean, how do we, uh, how do we fix it? How do we uh, live through it? Well, my ideas, um, I've, okay, so I've been thinking a lot about dystopia in general um, for basically all my life, but obviously especially the past couple years. And uh, it all, it basically it came down to, in the past few months, it came down to realizing that, look, a society is made up of individuals and if the individuals, if the preponderance of individuals in in a society are ripe, are psychologically ripe for dystopia, then dystopia will take root and grow. Right. If those people, if those individuals are not fertile ground 
for the seeds of dystopia to grow, then dystopia will never take root. It can't be cultivated. Right. right. And so, and so, you know, there's no, I can't, I, I basically don't see any situation in which there was a point earlier, like early in the pandemic where it was like, it felt like maybe we could turn this around. We just like, we just gotta like do the right messaging and, form the right groups and organize the right way and like, you know, let people like really show people what's wrong here. But then there came another, there came a time when it was obvious that it's like this shit and you, you can't stop it. It's its own, it's got, it's got its own trajectory. It's got, it's all, it's already been planned out, you know, and it has steam. It's got momentum. Um, and the thing, the engine that's driving it forward is not the shadowy conspiracists planning it who, you know, did plan it partially or to a large extent, but the engine driving it is those individuals who in their brains and their psychologies are completely fertile ground for these seeds to take root and grow. Yeah. So my, so my solution is it's all about inner growth. I mean, everything in life comes back to it. And, you know, we can sit here and be like, oh, it's those other people that, you know, they accepted the they accepted the technocratic agenda. And now we have this dystopia all around us. And like, OK, maybe sure. Yeah, they're more ignorant than I am. I've I've like reached a, a higher level of truth and like understanding of these things than some other people are. But I'm not done yet. So <laughs> basically. <laughs> What I like to encourage is people, people, um, in, instead of giving into the kind of psychological abyss that you can be very tempting in a, in a dystopian situation, such as the one that we're in, which can lead to, you know, depression, rage, overwhelm, and, um, anxiety and all of these things and can like really get you stuck in inertia. Yeah. Um, to instead be like, okay, this is my life still. This is just the hand I've been dealt, the environment that I was born into or whatever that I was placed here or somehow ended up here at this time and I'm going to fucking do my shit anyway, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I've been uh, pushing pretty hard for people to uh, pick up some Marcus Aurelius and learn a little bit of stoicism. It's like... The only control that you will ever find is that you control yourself. You can't control anybody else. And so the, the piece that the peace of mind that comes is when you realize you have no control over those around you, even in your own family. Uh, you have no control over the person down the street. You have no control over the person sitting in the city, uh, you know, 10 miles away. Mm -hmm. The only person you can control is yourself. You know, so if you try to imagine yourself as a little dot on a piece of paper and then your family and friends, those are the immediate circle around that dot. You know, the uh, the neighborhood that you live in is another circle outside of that. Uh, the city that you live in is another circle outside of that. And then everything else is like the nation and the country and the world and basically. And so the only thing that you have is just that dot. Mm -hmm. It's the only thing that you can control. Yeah, that's literally it. And but the thing is. When you have, when you actually do take control of your little dot, you know, yeah. which is the only thing that you can control when you actually stop trying to control everything else, which even libertarians and anarchists do in a very subtle way. Sometimes, you know, yeah. everybody has this, but the more you stop doing that, uh, 
the more your dot, your little dot becomes, I don't want to be corny here, but it's like a little beacon. Yeah. People see how people, people resonate with you more. And when you speak the truth, um, from a point of not just intellectual understanding, but having like integrated it into your being into your practice of living, um, even though people will still readily disagree with you and debate with you on Twitter or whatever, I feel like people get more people, those people, you automatically give more weight to the things that people say if they are coming from a place of deep personal honesty and having integrated them into their lives rather than just an intellectual, like a surface intellectual understanding, you know? Yeah. Does that make sense? So you Makes sense. become like a little, so you become more influential, more of a powerful little dot. You're like a little powerful dot that's not t trying to control anything, but is like emanating, you know, thought currents or I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So Mahatma Gandhi had the thing of being the change that you wish to see in the world. Mm -hmm. And the reason for that is you're leading by example. Right. So if you're taking care of you and your own, it's like, your family's going to notice that first mm -hmm. your friends and your neighbors might notice that second. Mm -hmm. uh, definitely the, the city and town that you live in aren't going to take notice, but at least that immediate area. Right. Yeah. It's, it's a ripple effects, concentric circles, just, you know? Yeah. Yeah. That's how it works. Um, but I mean, in crucially, you have to be, um, I call it subtle armor, you know, in order to, in order to outstand and or outlast and withstand dystopia, you have to have this psychological, you know, armor that is partly about like focusing on what you control, what you can control, what's in your locus of control and partly about, uh, seeking greater maturity. I talk about, um, Alexander Solzhenitsyn in, in the book how <laughs> he like he literally is like rotting in a in a gulag and he's and he's yeah. like and he's like and then I realized if only it were I'm just I'm paraphrasing here because I don't have the direct quote but he's like yeah if, if only it were so simple that we could just go shoot all of the bad guys all the shadowy conspiracists and all these evil people <laughs> separate them from the rest of society and then be rid of their evil influence forever yeah. But you can't. It's not that easy because the line dividing good and evil runs cuts through the heart of every human being. And who wants to cut out a piece of his own heart? Right? That's what yeah, he said. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Solzhenitsyn had a, a lot of great quotes. Yeah. Uh, one of my favorites was, uh, was like, oh, how we burned in the camps later if we could have met the... Uh, <laughs> if we could have met the KGB at our doors with uh, hatchets and, uh, and, you know, chair, like busted up chairs and everything. And clubbed them. Yeah. Yeah. And that, and he's talking about courage in that quote, they didn't have the courage or he says, we didn't love freedom enough. Right. And I think that's part of it. Loving freedom enough means having the courage to, de to defend freedom, but it also yeah. means other things. It, and so it's all about like integrating all of these different, virtues really principles or virtues into integrating them into a whole you know a whole way of dealing with life and then you're never really done because if you're done you might as well pick it yeah pick a bucket 
Yeah, exactly. I mean, we always got one more project to do. There's one more thing to do on that list. So it's like if you, the moment you think you've actually done and you can relax a little bit, you're you're wrong. <laughs> right. Yep. So it's just a uh, it's a tough thing. Uh, and especially if the last two years haven't taught us anything is that people just aren't going to read that book that you suggest that they read. No. You know, I can't even get them to read like a, a simple news story that says, you know, one thing was false that they believe is true and and everything else. So it's just like, OK, I, I throw my hands up. I don't know what else to do here, guy. <laughs> yeah, but here's what I think of it's it's like. You have to go through it to come out the other side. You know, some things you've built up such a crisis that in there's those of us who see what's going on and we're going to avert it as best we can, even though we still have to coexist in the same world with it. But the people yeah. who don't see what's going on are going to have in order to ever grasp the principles that we talk about, they're going to have to experience that. It's a crisis that brings realignment. Um, I think like when hopefully if you lose your job or, or get in a car wreck or, you know, have a debilitating illness that you don't die from, you get divorced or some other crisis comes up in your life and you aren't like completely. <laughs> and you are, as I said, it's not the first time she's busted up in the, in the show. It's not going to be the okay. last. That's okay. Yeah. If, if you have any, um, any desire for, to grow or expand as a person, you use those crises to realign your life to what, you know, what you want, what you're trying to be, what you're trying to give to the world, you know, and there are buttons. I'll, I'll show you later. Good night. And so I think that dystopia is the kind of the same thing on a, on a entire society scale. Yeah, it's, uh, <sighs> Yeah, the two the the last two years, world timeout, you know, house arrest and everything else. Uh, it's been it's been so crazy to what people will actually believe, uh, even in the face of like overwhelming evidence. You know, it's just like I can't believe you still guys are believing this. Like even today, I saw on Twitter, it's like I'm going to be wearing my mask on the airplanes going forward because I don't care what the government says. I was like, yeah, but like just not too long ago, you said. Because the government said this, we have we all have to do it, right? You know, yeah. I it's gonna take a while for certain personalities. You know, I yeah. I don't think that it's hopeless uh, for them. I just think that you know, like Solzhenitsyn, <laughs> Solzhenitsyn discovered, you can't sometimes uh, going through these horrible. Um, crises, these horrible um, oppressions are what actually bring you out of your delusion, your delusional state. And for us, it was, you know, for people like us, it was easy because we already knew going in. It didn't take long, what, you know, for most of us, two to four, maybe six weeks to be like, okay, this is bullshit <laughs> and I'm not going along with it. Um, but we we're already used to questioning everything. Yeah. See, we've been doing it for years, most of us. We've been, some of us since childhood, you know, some of us were taught that way by our parents to question everything and not to buy anything just because the authority says. 
that that's what's happening. So it was easy for us. It's not easy for these other people. They're not. Yeah. They know not what they do. They're ignorant, <laughs> you know? And, yeah. And not the first time I've used that quote. So. And, right. <laughs> and they're not hopeless. I don't think they just need to be shaken up a little bit. And they're certainly creating a situation in which that is going to happen. Yeah, if, if there's like any kind of white pill that happened during that whole time was the amount of people who saw what their kids were learning at school because they were at home on a computer screen and everybody's at home. So we all get to see. And they're right. like, oh, yeah, my teachers, the, my son's teacher, my kids teachers are idiots or worse. You know, they're trying to push something on them. You know, right. so then you started seeing the rate of homeschool started going through the roof. And it was like one of the most searched Google terms was like homeschool without Jesus, you know, because they all had this idea that homeschool was like for super religious freaks. And it just right. it just isn't. Yeah. Um, yeah, I get I get that a lot. Homeschool is for religious people or for rich people. Yeah. Rich okay. people with a lot for of time people, on their hands. Yeah. People can't homeschool. And I'm like, OK, well, because I did it. I'm I'm not, you know. I, I homeschooled uh, my daughter in a single wide on, um, you know, with a family, one income family. So I yeah. driving, driving a 2004 Corolla for, you know, 15 years. I think that, I think that poor people can homeschool. <laughs> yeah. There's over a billion Indian people and like 700 million of them are well below the poverty line and their kids get educated. Yeah. Well, they have a free market in education in India. Yeah. <laughs> you know, they have private schools that that cost like the equivalent of like a few dollars a week to attend. And right. so their private schools for older students are like fractions of the cost of our daycares for toddlers here in the state. Yeah. And so, yeah, and they're really good. They're good private schools. Um, yeah, I also all challenge all you to go to any engineering firm or doctor's office here in the United States. And then count up all of the uh, the Hindi last names that you see. Right. Yeah. They're well educated, <laughs> obviously. Yeah. Um, yeah. And even even though they have the horrible caste system still lingering in India, they still because of this and it's not the same, I should I don't think it's the same in every um, provincial region or whatever. I don't they have states or provinces over there, but anyway. It's not the same in every state, but there are some with such a high level of free market in education that like literally like everybody in all the different castes has pretty good access to great education. Right. So it's not. Yeah. Not hard. Yeah. You're not really going to find too many of them that are still kind of following by the, They just kind of have it as more of like a traditional type of thing. It's, you know, kind of like the Queen of England. It's like most people over there in England don't really care about the royals one way or the other. It's just that they still have it. I think they care. <laughs> <laughs> I think they care I, because they want they want it for the entertainment value. They feel sentimental about the crown for some reason or especially about the queen. Now, when Queen Elizabeth dies, maybe they'll change. They'll have a change of heart. <laughs> Because they've been with her for so long, you know, she's so freaking old Yeah. that like, it would be kind of like it, like getting rid of the, of the monarchy might be like killing your grandma. 
Yeah, I had to check my uh, hat to make sure I had my tinfoil lining in it. <laughs> and I'm just going to say that the Queen has probably been dead for months. And they're just waiting to see if they're going to announce Charles. Okay, okay. I'm with it. Uh, I haven't been doing my conspiracy... I've been writing books instead of doing my conspiracy research lately. Yeah, you've actually been, like, you know, doing stuff. <laughs> yeah, no, it's it's just the... it's From some of the British people that I've talked to, they're all like, yeah, the royals, they do their thing, but, you know, we don't really care. <laughs> it's like we got bigger problems to deal with than just you know like they, i just feel like if they didn't care they would stop like paying them to, you know they would stop having them on welfare yeah you know i feel like if that was really true then they just they'd just be like okay buckingham palace for sale high as bitter you know <laughs> yeah just for uh elon musk to go over there and buy it i guess i don't know <laughs> Talk about technocrats. Yikes, that guy. <laughs> yeah. He's kind of a mixed bag, man. Um, hard to read. Yeah, he's he does so many things that will actually get like a conversation moving. And I guess that's where I kind of like say, okay, you know, good for that. But then when you look, look into his history, it's like, okay, you didn't really start Tesla Motors. You just kind of took over the name. And did something with it. And then, you know, SpaceX, again, you kind of took over the name. <laughs> well, yeah. He's you. He's very good at doing what he does, whatever that is. You can see it's kind of like on public display with the whole Twitter thing. Yeah. And, um, you know, he like he's like, okay, I'm backing out of the deal. But we all know from previous moves we've seen him make, make that this is another move that's going to bring Twitter closer to doing what he wants Twitter to do, you know? Yeah. There was a, there was a meme going around. It was like, uh, it's like, okay, well, I'm going to buy up your thing for like more than it's worth. And Twitter's like, okay. It was like, uh, but you got to tell me how many bots are on the, on the site. No, we can't do that. It was like, okay, well I'm pulling it out of the deal. Okay. We're going to sue you. I was like, okay, so now you have to tell the court how many bots are on the site. Right. And then yeah. it's like a picture of Elon laughing, you know? Right. It and every every move he's made has been something like that. Yeah. Um, so he's obviously good at that, whatever that is, you know. <laughs> Shrouded in mystery. We we mere mundanes. We're not allowed to know that's that. A skill. No, that's a skill set. I'm sure that you could learn it. I just don't know what it's called. You know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, backroom negotiation. Uh, I don't know. Ma manipulation to get what you. I don't know. Anyway, um, and I and he does he has some threatening ideas about AI and um, brain chips. Brain chips, yeah. yeah, and yeah, Neuralink is a little scary. It's true, but on the other hand, I think that Elon Musk, being the richest person in the world, and also not. Um, kind of falling into lockstep with the rest of the richest people in the world when it comes to this is what we're going to do. You know, yeah. we are going to have technocracy and everybody is going to be happy and own nothing. Like Elon Musk doesn't think those things. He just wants to have AI. Like he wants to have us have chips in our brain. So that's like bad, like bad column, but good column. Like he's the richest guy in the world and he's not like kind of kowtowing to the agenda 
yeah, it's been kind of fun to watch like the uh, the lefties' faces melt about Elon trying to buy uh, Twitter and everything. It's like uh, he's you know going to be terrible for free speech, and I was like, no, actually, if he's gonna say what he means or, or does what he what he says, uh, like free speech would actually be better on Twitter. <laughs> oh yeah, totally. Yeah, and people and people do get they people. I I guess Elon is like our Queen Elizabeth in america <laughs> there's, the, are, there's the quote from the show right there <laughs> <laughs> people are very sentimental about him in one way or another they either just like we were taught this brings it full circle what we were talking about at the beginning of the episode with trump is you know people desire him to be <laughs> something yeah. that he's not quite i mean he's not you know maybe maybe he's worth maybe he's a worthy object of ire but he's not quite what you're purporting him to be and yeah. just because you desire him to be that in a sentimental way so that you have like a little pet villain that you can always hurl vitriol at on twitter <laughs> or whatever doesn't make him doesn't make it so yeah and the left uh they project so hard onto that guy it's like oh he's you know he's gonna silence those and it was like well you guys have been doing that on twitter already yeah <laughs> yeah yeah, I mean, so many, so many instances. Wasn't that what Twitter was like that was all of Twitter for like, I mean, from from our vantage point, how many people did you know who got uh, banned from Twitter in like 2020, 2021? Oh, like just about half of my uh, followers. Everybody, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't know how <laughs> I skated under the. I, I constantly do. Okay, so I've never been banned on Twitter, and I've never been um banned on or whatever they call it on facebook or put in facebook yeah. and i think it's because of the way i write i think it confuses the algorithms <laughs> that could I, be it I, i've can, caught I like a seven day and a couple of 12 hours you know for saying no no words i think yeah i think that's it because i always use like euphemisms and i'm and I word things in a different way than most people word them. And so I think that just the algorithms are, they're like, we do not, does not compute, you know? So I think that's why. Yeah. It's, it's one thing. It's like, I definitely know why I got banned in a, in a few of the cases. It's like the 12 hours. They Twitter really hates the word retard and cunt. I can, yeah. I can tell you that much right there. Mm -hmm. uh, the only seven day ban that I caught was joking with a friend about he posted a picture of a pizza that was covered in pineapples. And I was, and my response was go find a building and throw yourself off the edge of it. <laughs> yeah. It was a joke. I know right. the guy. We both had a laugh over it. And the next thing you know, I'll like log back into the account and it's like, Oh yeah, you got a seven day suspension for that <laughs> for uh, trying to uh, advocate for somebody to commit suicide. And it's a, it's a, it's a tough subject. And I was like, right. I wasn't doing that. It was clearly a joke. Yeah, our entire every every institution it seems like is pushing more and more towards infantilization of oh yes people. So like you can't you're not allowed to say no no words on Facebook <laughs> and Twitter, right? You can't you know they, you can't make a joke because if, or if you can only make approved jokes. So if the joke if you make a joke and it's going to be reviewed for appropriateness. And it's just like a kindergarten teacher. Like if, 
But you know what? I, well, I want my gold star. If I don't have any, you know, no, no jokes that day, I should get a gold star, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. And then if I get a gold star every day, five for like every day for a week, then I get a prize like a hundred dollars. Yeah, it's been uh, been kind of actually kind of fun for me because I have to like now think of other ways of calling somebody retarded. You know, it's like, oh, well, this is just mentally held back in a very specific manner. Mm-hmm. The algorithm doesn't know what to do with that. Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> or if we're gonna tell tell a journalist to go kill themselves, I was like, can you please go find a belt in a closet? It sounds like your it sounds like your gray matter might have some spongification. <laughs> yeah, just a little bit. <laughs> I don't know. I just came up with that one, but yeah. Spongification. Spongification. Yeah. It's formed so many wrinkles that it's now become porous. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It just gets, uh, it just gets really wild on the internet. Cause now I'm like trying to think of like around a joke without actually saying it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I've had a couple of people. It's like, well, you're just telling them to go kill yourself. I was like, I didn't implicitly say that. No, <laughs> that is what you inferred. <laughs> odd that you would think that <laughs> right exactly <sighs> so i mean we're ruled by algo tyranny from technocrats and uh so that's just something we're gonna have to have to deal with i i think even if uh, papa elon had taken over twitter we're gonna have to get around his algorithms that he puts in place yeah probably but yeah his algorithms might do stuff like send you free lasers or something i don't know <laughs> If, if you, I don't know, he, he's a very, he's just a very interesting character because he's definitely does, he doesn't fit into the hero or the villain category completely. He's very like, he's very anti-hero, you know? Nebulous. Very nebulous. He might be on a redemption arc. I'm not sure. Or (laughs) a, you know, an, an improvement arc like going from villain to a hero yeah or it might be the opposite oh, going from hero to villain mm-hmm. could be did that all start when he got hair plugs hmm. you know i think it might have started when he um just started impregnating people right and left like <laughs> that that is another thing that people don't realize it's like how many kids does this guy have he has a lot of kids and go look it up it's day. 12 12 12, 12 already born yes and two on the way and two on the way yeah that we know of yeah so uh i was listening to no agenda uh today while i was uh you know drawing lines in a computer all day and uh, adam curry was like yeah this guy's like totally into cloning because he's got like 12 kids and there's like a set of twins on the way <laughs> i was like th- sitting there thinking about it and i was like trying to do the math in my head and i was like oh my god he's right there's he's got so many kids well, I think it's interesting um, because he did, did he make, I don't know if he was serious or not, but he made a comment about how he was doing his part to repopulate, to, to counter the depopulation. Yeah. Um, it's about to occur. <laughs> That's about to occur. Like it's going to be sudden. I don't, and that birth rates haven't been on the decline for decades. Yeah. They have been on the, on the decline for decades, but you know, everybody's still convinced that we are massively overpopulated and nothing that we can do about it. But anyway, um, uh, Malthus, if I ever but, go to your grave in England, I am going to piss on it completely. 
Ah, the Malthusian myth. Yeah. So we, um, but but Elon thinks that that's that that's coming. Depopulation is coming, and we've got to do something about it because it would be really bad. And that's and so he said that's why he was he was <laughs> doing his partner repopulate. <laughs> I, I guess he's not wrong. He's definitely uh, overcome the uh, replacement rate for himself, at least. Oh yeah, he's he's done a lot better than than one child. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, what other uh, tips and strategies do you have in the book, without giving away the whole story? Because I, I still want people to go and buy your book, of course. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. So, the basically it's divided into three parts. The first part is taxonomy. I describe our present dystopia, its features, what it may. You like. define terms. I try to usually define my terms. Which terms are you talking about? Just like in general, like any kind of argument I've ever come across, it's like always goes down to like definitions. Uh, like one person says the definition of one word is one thing, and the other person says the definition of that same word is different. So a taxonomy would be great because that would be. Okay, here's the terms that I'm talking about. Okay, so when I say taxonomy, I'm talking about the taxonomy of, to define the term taxonomy in the way that I'm using it. Um, I'm talking about the taxonomy of dystopia. Yeah. So what um, engenders it? What brings it about in general, not just our present dystopia, but in general, this is, these are, there are certain features that dystopia always has, you know? And so we're going to classify what kind of dystopia we're in. And so I talk about the different features of that current dystopia. And then the second part of the book is about principles. Um, and I, and I talk about the principles that will help the individual, um, withstand and outlast the dystopia. And what I'm trying to encourage is that people, I'm also a fiction writer. I know I mentioned that earlier, but um, so I've studied a lot about fiction, dystopian fiction in particular, but also all kinds of other science fiction and how it works and how the pieces go together and how plots develop and character arcs right. and everything like that. So I am trying, I would like to encourage people to go on the hero's journey, take the first step of the hero's journey, because as we know in character arcs and the hero's journey, there, there's a villain, right? But yep. the hero, the protagonist, can't um, win the final battle against the villain until he addresses whatever his own shortcoming is, right? So yeah. that's how story works. And that's the reason story works that way is because our lives work that way. And we invented story to help tell us about how to live, right? So um, to apply that back... You know, it might have been easier when all stories were told around the campfire and you didn't have much to think about all day except the stories that somebody told last night around the campfire. But now that everything is all coming at you a million miles a minute all the time, it may be not as as easy to um, apply these stories to your own life, these myths, um, and how story works to how your life works, right? So the way... Yeah. So... So I'm inviting people to take the to, to go on the first step of the hero's journey, and that involves certain principles in the dystopian setting, which is what we are in. And so I talk about the principles that you need to form your subtle psychological armor 
that will help you defeat your your shortcomings or whatever and hopefully finally win the final battle or rebuild once we've outlasted the dystopia and then the third part talks about logistics and i go into um things like uh producing some of your own food becoming more self-reliant um community and how dystopian economies are likely to work okay cool yeah definitely everyone should go check that out that's probably a good place to leave it off for tonight uh star go ahead and uh, get your grift on drop all your plugs okay sweet so should i put them in the chat window here or uh I sure yeah because i'll i'll drop it all in the show notes below after after we get done here okay so my substack is at starohara.substack.com yeah and that's i just subscribed you- the other day so i was awesome. like yeah and uh yeah that's where you can find the links to my book but also here i'll just go ahead and this is the paperback link right here i'm definitely not gonna read that <laughs> yeah and in fact i uh can drop it in the banner right down here below here and on twitter i am at technate 2051 yeah uh whoop see now i'm just like clicking on the links instead of copying the links just to show down at the bottom (laughs) so it's uh this was a pretty fun episode. I'm glad that it's, uh, we'll at least get to talk about dystopia without getting all blackpilled and everything. And I know I make jokes like I'm so blackpilled. I basically got it coming out of my ears, mm-hmm. but you know, it's a uh, one thing that's, uh, that whole thing right there is the Amazon link, but, uh, don't worry guys. I'll have it down in the show notes, uh, after the show is over. Um, so it's, it's been fun. Uh, I do like talking about the subject and kind of coming at it like a little bit uh, of a white pill perspective to it. Because when we think dystopia, we think, oh, there's nothing we can do about it. You know, it's, it's going to happen. It's going to be all awful and everything. But you come along and you say, hey, look, no, look, I've got tips and strategies for dealing with it. Sure, it's going to suck. But, I mean, at least you can make it through it. Yeah. Yeah. But anyways, uh, Star, it's been uh, great to have you on. Uh, we'll have to get you back on next time, okay? All right. Thanks so much, Eric. All right. You're welcome. Have a great night. Have a good night. All right, there she goes, folks. And, uh, yeah, don't have to worry about uh, hunting and pecking for all those links because I'll have them down below in the show notes after the show is over. Uh, anyways, also down in the show notes will be uh, all the links that you can help out this guy. Um, so I have to get a shout-out to uh, one Mr. William out there who uh, gave me $80 worth of uh, karma, and that's coming straight to you for giving me a little uh, push-button thing so I can have little sound effects and stuff. But uh, it's actually been pretty good because I can, like, mute the mic and everything else with it. But anyways, guys, take it easy, and we'll come at you next time with a brand new episode of Rebel with a Cause. Ouch.